Hello, and welcome to Take 5 Podcast from Fortinet. You give us a few minutes, and we provide five cybersecurity tips and best practices for today's technology leaders. This podcast series taps into the experience from the Fortinet Field CISO team, focusing on the need for endpoint security on key industries. I'm your host, Jonathan Nguyen, uh, CISO for our cloud practice. And today we're talking with Jim Richberg, Fortinet CISO for our public sector practice. And he's talking about zero trust network access. Welcome, Jim. Well, it's good to be with you, Jonathan. Hey, you know, um, the, the perimeter is extended across the infrastructure to any edge device these days. And, and the shift to the edge, you know, has implications for security. You know, what do you think leaders in, in, in public sector need to be thinking about to advance their security strategy to secure this proliferation of edges, devices, and, and data? That's a great question, Jonathan. Um, well, first, government, the public sector is not monolithic. It, it stretches from the federal government to state, local, and tribal, ter tribal and territorial governments, which themselves vary dramatically between states with economies larger than many countries, down to small village or tribal governments that don't even have IT staff. And the federal government, of course, differs between the national security community, which is relatively mature in this area, and some of the small civilian agencies. But the one constant that we've seen has been the pandemic-driven pivot to increased remote telework and a greater importance of the endpoint. Um, they have seen the workforce move and in many cases we've seen the need for citizen services accelerate provided from not government endpoint, not employee endpoint, but from user endpoints, the customers themselves. And that's something that uh, state and local government in particular weren't used to seeing. And it, at the same time as part of the coping strategy, government continued the migration to the cloud. So you've got cloud as an increasingly important edge for government. And finally, governments are starting to have a serious conversation around software-defined networking. It still lags the, the private sector, but I'm increasingly hearing from people in government who are talking about moving beyond the world of Cat5 networks and, and wired infrastructure between workstations and leased lines to going to a software-defined world, which again, increases is the number of edges and endpoints that they've got to deal with. But the bottom line is the government doesn't face unique challenges in terms of the endpoints and the edge. Uh, so I think it can learn from where the private sector has gone and the kind of commercial capabilities that are available. Yeah, I think it's an interesting notion. I think it should be a two-way street. I mean, for instance, zero trust was something that was that gained a lot more traction in public sector than it did in private sector. It really kind of just took the pandemic to, to, to drive that. So that's a pretty interesting perspective. So, you know, uh, amongst the people that, that you're seeing and speaking with today over in public sector, what are the new developments that you're seeing around securing the endpoint? So I think they are increasingly recognizing that the pivot that they made to an increased number and diversity of endpoints, that the endpoints were no longer going to be within the network perimeter of the agency, they recognize that that's going to endure and to persist that we actually have agencies that are talking about not only supporting customers who 
are external, but having employees who literally don't live within driving distance of their place of employment. And that is almost unprecedented for most of government. So they're talking about what does new normal look like in terms of the necessity to support a greater diversity of endpoints. And frankly, when they talked about continuity of operations, before the pandemic, they usually meant who had to fight their way in regardless of the weather. And now continuity of operations, continuity of government has become real. And that means that you'll have to be able to provide support at any time to any endpoint devices that may not belong to your organization. So these are challenges that government is now starting to grapple with. Um, some of the users and activities at these endpoints may not even be human. Robotic process automation accelerated dramatically within government uh, as a result of COVID. Its use doubled in the federal government at the state and local level. It went from something that only a relative handful of states were using at scale in January to what was the first line of interaction for most states for citizen facing digital services by June. So these are developments that have created challenges and government is now talking about how they deal with them. You mentioned zero trust, Jonathan. Zero trust is actually something where government was the path breaker. Government did a great job of defining the functional requirements and the essential elements of zero trust uh, a long time ago. As a matter of fact, parts of the national security community were arguably implementing key parts of zero trust, like need to know, segmentation of information, decades before we talked about that as a zero trust architecture. But then having done a good job of articulating what zero trust looked like, and maybe even implementing it in a static fashion, it, it seemed that government seemed to lose faith that dynamic zero trust, the real-time transactionally focused kind that you and I know is what you really want to do to support these this diversity of endpoints, could be done. And I think this skepticism colored its adoption in government until recently. I also think that COVID was part of the catalyst for this. And now government has done a good job at articulating practical use cases um, and, and are defining some paths to implementation, especially documentation coming out of the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And a couple of big federal agencies have also done a very good job at coming up with a building block approach to implementing zero trust within their agencies. They've said, why don't we create the components of what this kind of validation of access, this way of doing real-time segmentation, of doing this kind of adjudication looks like, and then rather than ask each component in the agency to reinvent it, make these common services available. So they're doing what government does well. They're creating standards and best practices and some exemplar implementations that now I think the private sector in return can draw on. Yep, yep, lots of best practices and lessons learned across there. So, you know, you describe a pretty broad, uh, uh, complex, operating environment with lots of different tools, lots of different platforms, applications, given this level of complexity, you know, how critical is an overall platform approach when it comes to securing 
this growing number of endpoints and, and, and uh, network edges? So it's absolutely critical, Jonathan, but I think it's importance or the fact that it exists, that viable, practical, effective, efficient platforms are in commercial space is underappreciated by many in government. And, and I can't I, I can't say enough how important this is. This is one of the things that I talk about is absolutely transformational to cybersecurity. I mean, what is one of the reasons we talk about cybersecurity is hard? Because of the growth of the attack surface. I, mean, I personally don't like the term attack surface because an attack was always something I wanted to avoid. I mean, I've been shot at, it's not fun. Um, but digital connectivity, the, the kinds of things that we're seeing in terms of interconnectedness of smarter devices Devices, that's transformational. That's the opportunity. I don't want to avoid that. I, it brings risk. It brings vulnerability that I want to manage. But if you instrument this digital attack service that currently has been our Achilles heel, it's complex. We don't understand it. The attackers find the weak point and attack it. If it's all in a common platform, an ecosystem that I can instrument, and the instrumentation are sensors, and the sensors can be reporting what they're seeing, and this is the, the big important part, I have the mature artificial intelligence and machine language to be able to make sense of it, I know in real time what normal activity looks like for any kind of network, for any kind of user activity. And if I know normal, by definition, I know what's abnormal. And deep neural networks in particular are great at allowing you to see what's abnormal and just weird and what's abnormal and definitely or potentially malicious and to do that sub-second. So now I've basically turned the turned the, the rules of the game on the attackers. This complexity now becomes my barometer. I know, what is, I know what's going on in my network in real time because people lose sight of the fact that the attackers are not cyber ninjas. They're not invisible, they're not perfect. They typically try and fail innumerable times before they succeed in getting into a network. They rely on the fact that defenders can't be looking everywhere all of the time. And if they see something, they don't know, is it a false positive? Is it a threat? And even if they think it's real, is it a tier one minor issue? Is it serious? And if it's serious, how do I respond to it? Using this kind of platform approach, the sensors are always on, the sensors don't blink, you can do the correlation, and the sensors are also control devices. So policy-driven automation allows you to stop something in many cases before the attacker has initially succeeded and to inoculate the rest of not only that enterprise, but all of the other enterprises in that platform, this is transformational. This enables zero trust too, because what do we talk about as key to zero trust? Visibility and control. This gives you both the breadth of visibility across this enterprise, across the federation of enterprises, as well as the granularity to say, I see individual processes running on a device and I can control these in real time. So this minimizes an attacker's ability to compromise you. Can't stop it, but it, it can reduce it. And it gives you the potential to minimize the damage when they get in. So a platform approach is absolutely foundational to securing the endpoints and to securing these, these government enterprises. And, and they, the sad thing is so many people in government that I talk to don't actually understand that platforms exist, much less that they work. 
Yeah, I think that's always been a challenge because I think since day one, all of us, what we've been trying to build are platforms. And, you know, what you just described is very hard to build in-house, right? It's, it's the perfect example of why security shouldn't be a DIY, DIY exercise. I mean, and, I, I, I was one of the people who built and monitored the national program, the federal government, and we poured tens of billions of dollars into making great capabilities in stovepipes, trying to build common operating picture, shared situational awareness of what was going on in our networks and the ability to respond at machine speed. We didn't get there. Yeah. Do it yourself didn't work even for an organization as large as the federal government. Yeah, I note that. I think, you know, even the largest organizations with the broadest uh, benches of, of skills and experience and expertise, the deepest budgets still are, are victims to all types of issues in, around security. So, you know, that's that's interesting segue into the, the next question, which is, so given all the gaps that we, you and I just discussed here, you know, and you discuss these things with CISOs, what are they talking about when it comes to, to their needs and securing these endpoints? Are they talking about platforms now? Or are they still talking about, uh, you know, disparate siloed uh, point products? So they're by and large not talking about platforms. Uh, they're very, very problem focused, practical people, and they're driven by threats. They're driven by what is the breach? What is the event of the day? So I'm going to throw out three that will be ripped from recent events. Um, one is advanced persistent threat activities, things like solar wind and exchange. Uh, the second is increasing focus on the supply chain. And, and the third is they're still grappling with cloud and multi-cloud security. Uh, I think that the recent advanced persistent threat activities that we've seen have been a reminder of both the sophistication of this kind of nation state associated activity and the difficulty of detecting it, especially when it leverages the supply chain. Now, uh, I talked about the, the variety, the heterogeneity of government. And I talked to people in state and local government, certainly in the educational sector, who say, I may have been compromised by some of these very sophisticated supply chain activities that had a broad footprint of organizations they affected, but I wasn't exploited. I was initially compromised, but I wasn't, I wasn't part of the follow-up activity. And frankly, I was collateral damage. Um, I was caught up in the blast zone because I'm not the kind of target those nation state actors are looking for. The federal government is target number one. Uh, and they have the bullseye pinned to them, and they're, they are the ones who would benefit the most from this kind of platform approach. But even while they grapple with implementing the platform, this validates the importance of the endpoint. It validates the necessity to have this kind of AI-driven analytic capability. Because if you don't instrument the endpoint and have the ability to see what's going on and ideally to block it, you won't catch the adversary. We typically catch these kind of advanced persistent threat actors when they make a mistake because yep. they're human too. You know, especially these kind of bespoke tailored activities are usually manually done. They're complex, they're multi-part. We've talked about potentially a thousand people were involved in putting that code together. They make mistakes just like the defenders do. And it, the mistakes will show up as anomalies. 
If you don't have the instrumentation and the analytics in place to detect the anomalies, it's a moot point. They can make as many mistakes as they want. So this is table stakes for the federal government. Given the kind of threat that they're facing, they need this kind of capability. They're also focusing again on the supply chain and they're saying, I need to know, I need to know the provenance of my suppliers. I need to know the provenance of the goods and services that are in it. I need to be able to attest to their security. I need some way of checking that it hasn't been corrupted while it's in service. So I need monitoring as well. So you can break this down into what's readily knowable, like who owns this company? Where is the intellectual property put together? Where is it maintained? And then the more technical parts that are harder. And frankly, the technical parts are what we always seize on. And they make us lose sight of the fact that there are things for due diligence in a corporate sense or in terms of where is my data being hosted that are relatively solvable that help to buy down that risk. And then the third one again is cloud. It's, it's ironic to me, Jonathan, and I'm sure it would be to you as the, uh, as the guy on our team who focuses on the cloud that there are still agencies that are grappling with the shared security responsibility model for operating in the cloud. Um, now, there are fewer of them than there were, but where they all continue, or most of them continue to struggle, is in the, the multi-cloud or the hybrid model. Uh, the reality is many of these government organizations may be in three to five or six public cloud infrastructures. They may have a hybrid uh, cloud environment. They may have a private cloud as well. And it, it, it's a relatively rare or government organization that can say, I have consistent security controls and security policies in all of these cloud environments. And, and inconsistency creates gap. Gap creates vulnerability and vulnerability is what we get exploited by. So that is one of the big problems that, that government is grappling with is how to secure it's they've made the migration to the cloud they're continuing to do it but they they haven't caught up in the maturity of their thinking about how to secure it yeah i think that's the uh, an emerging topic which, which is so i I've, I've migrated to the cloud now what right? yeah exactly and, and i think people are realizing that shared responsibility doesn't mean shared accountability yeah <laughs> there's lots of Lots of people who are responsible, but very few that are actually accountable. And I think our org charts are going to look increasingly like racy matrices across <laughs> uh, internal third-party technology vendors and service providers. I think that's just practical reality. So yeah. the last question for you, you know, given everything we just talked about, you know, how would you advise your peers when it comes down to securing the, this evolution of IoT devices, and especially as, as 5G becomes more widely uh, available going forward? So I think this really points in the direction of edge computing and, and how you secure that. You, know, I, you talk to so many people who say, well, with IoT devices, the fact that so many of them are headless devices, they're devices that the way they ship from the manufacturer is the state of security that they will be in forever. Well, that's when you start getting creative and you say, okay, this points me in the direction of things like virtual patching. Uh, this, this points to focusing on things like the access points to the other network assets that I wanna be concerned about for things like 5G. So I look at this and go, IoT and 5G bring a new set of technologies and a new set of challenges, but the classic approaches we CISOs have for problem solving continue to apply. You need to blend the art of the possible, 
uh, with the art of the practical or what's impactful for your mission and your situation, along with an appreciation for the art of the affordable, because especially public sector is in some cases already a resource challenge and it's going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's lots of complexity, not a lot of resources, not a lot of time. But speaking of not a lot of time, you know, we've rapidly come to the end of this session. So a big thanks for joining us for this episode of Take 5. Uh, visit our website, www.fortinetfederal.com, for more information on securing public sector. And in our next episode, we'll cover endpoint security for education. The Take 5 podcast is brought to you by Fortinet, securing your digital innovation across the entire digital infrastructure, whether a network, application, multi-cloud, or edge environments.